If you uh, have been with us over the the past couple of months, um, Pastor Mark and I have been preaching through the book of Acts in our Unstoppable God series, but over the the Easter season and uh, the last couple of months, we've kind of taken a little bit of a a path off to the side, and uh, there were a couple of topics that were were pretty necessary, and uh, and it became pretty apparent that we needed to take just some time away to to talk about those things uh, as we continue as a church. Church uh, to grow, and and this morning we're going to be kind of following that trend a little bit, but but don't panic. For you completionists out there, we are going to finish. <laughs> we are going to finish going through the the book of Acts. Um, <coughs> excuse me, it's just going to come a little bit uh, later uh, this summer. Well, this morning uh, I want to begin a a three week series in which we are going to be uh, tying back into the, uh, the Black, White, and Gray series that Pastor Mark just finished last week, as well as eventually going back to connecting to the Unstoppable God series. Uh, in case you missed any of those, I have great news for you. Uh, you can go online at ecwesleyan.net, uh, and uh, there's a little tab there that says Listen Online. You can click on that, or if you, uh, if you don't see where the little text is, eventually in the scrolling pictures, you'll see like the, the sermon uh, uh, series graphic and you can click on that and it'll take you to a player that has all of uh, those messages on it. Uh, we're also on iTunes now. Uh, we're in the iTunes store so you can listen on uh, as, a, as a podcast or subscribe to that so you never miss a week of what's going on here. So just wanted to throw that out there to you guys, let you know that that's going on um, and, and interact with us too through that um, on Facebook or on Twitter at EC Wesleyan. Make sure you interact with us if there are uh, questions that kind of come up uh, as a result of a message or if there's something that's, uh, you know, maybe a story of how God used something in a message uh, to impact you, let us know uh, about those things. We want to celebrate those things uh, together. And make sure you pass that along too to, to family and friends too. Well, I want to start out this morning with a, with a question and, and there are a couple of questions and, 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 and the questions are these. Have you ever witnessed somebody absolutely lose their mind over something that turned out to be nothing? Have you ever witnessed complete and utter like baseless outrage? Have you ever been in a situation in where the response to an issue at hand has escalated so far beyond what an appropriate response is? Have you ever experienced that? Of course you have, you lived through 2016. We experienced a year of outrage. There were so many outrageous things that took place. And if you take a look at a a snapshot of uh, of trending news clips or or shared articles or blogs on social media, if you've listened to to any type of like news station or, or listened to any type of conversation in public, you have probably seen an example of absolute senseless outrage. And what's worse than the outrage itself is that the people have gone like further beyond that and and then it's no longer about the issue. It's about people and it's about them and it's about us and how they're wrong and we're right and there's there's this weird thing that happens in the midst of outrage. And whether it's, it's situations like what, what's happened on the, the campuses like UC Berkeley with, with riotous screaming over, over danger, the dangers of differing opinions or, or masked individuals punching out anyone that they deem a Nazi 
or destructive marches that just, for just about every issue that, that hurl accusations of fascism, racism, sexism, or the, the accusation or the title of fake news being thrown like candy. And all of this, all of this is in the culture of the internet in which we are collecting and cataloging some of the worst examples of humanity for every generation to be able to see. And I wish that I could say that like this was something that was isolated, that these are like just isolated incidences that are, that are happening, but it's happening in the church too. It's, it's happening in the church and if we can be like really, really, really honest with ourselves for a minute. In the last year, when you've logged on to social media, in the last year when you've gotten together with family, in the last year when you've talked with coworkers, and there are controversial issues that have come up, has there been that thing inside of you that's like, but no, you're wrong. You know what I'm talking about? Like there's that, like we all kind of turn into like gremlins fed after midnight. We turn into monsters like whenever there's any type of controversy. And if you don't believe me, I have five words that will change your mind. Star Wars, Harry Potter, Pokemon. Come on now. Like honestly, in the last 40 years, in the last 40 years, I, and, and I know I'm not 40 years old yet, but I've lived, <laughs> close-ish, um, depends on who you ask. Uh, I, I've lived long enough though to see where the church has just lost their mind over things. And, and this morning, I, I don't wanna spend time like on, on defending any, anything, like that's not, that's not what this is about, but, but, but what I hope over the next three weeks that we do is I hope that we lay a foundation so that any time that there's any type of controversy, any time there's something that would rock the boat, any time that there's something that would cause us to panic, that rather than jumping on an issue, that we might ask God how he would have us respond and how he might leverage for his good something that Satan might intend for evil. And this morning, this morning, I'm gonna give you a snapshot of a group of people and we're gonna look at a little bit of their history that I believe can give us a really, really good foundation on what can happen on both sides of the equation. On what happens when you panic and what happens when you take a measured approach to things. We're gonna be looking at the sons of Issachar. We're gonna look at a little bit of history we're gonna, and we're gonna look at a hard lesson that I believe changed the trajectory of a tribe. So who are the sons of Issachar and what do they have to do with this conversation? What do we know about them? Well, there's this, there's this snippet, this one verse in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32. I'm gonna have it up on the screen here. There were 200 captains of the sons of Issachar, they understood the times and had much understanding of what Israel should do. And all their brothers obeyed them. 
Now this is just kind of a snapshot. I don't generally like just kind of cherry picking things and pulling out. So I'm gonna give you the context of what's going on here with these guys. So this is a small excerpt from an incredible tenu- incredibly tenuous moment of Israel's history. So we have like two kingdoms or we have two royal houses within Israel that are kind of, they're kind of warring for control. Like Israel not long before had just been established as a monarchy. The first king of Israel, Saul, came into power. God had anointed him. But Saul chose to do things his way and kind of got the boot. And so then God sent uh, the prophet Samuel to anoint a young man named David. And David grew up with this understanding that God had this plan that eventually would lead him to the throne. And so there were these two, there were these two bits of loyalty between like the old house, the, the house of Saul, and, and, and David. And, and, and David, was, David had this, this great reputation, but there were still, there, was still those who, there were still those who were hanging on to see what was gonna become of Saul's line. And in this moment that we see, this snapshot in 1 Chronicles 12, this is the moment where the tribes begin to start rallying behind David. And in 1 Chronicles 12, there's this list of, of, the, of how many number of each of the 12 tribes came to meet him to support him. And out of tribe after tribe of warriors that came itching for David to lead a war, to slaughter their enemies, to slaughter anyone who would contest his kingship, there were these 200 sons of Issachar that weren't just warriors, they were strategists. They understood the culture, they understood the temperature in the room, and they knew what Israel ought to do. They knew how to navigate it. And they gave David wisdom and counsel for how to move forward in the best possible way. So what do we know about their history? What do we know about Issachar? Well, the tribe of Issachar was one of the 12 tribes of of Israel, and it had quite a messy history. If you go further back into Genesis, you'll read about Jacob. And now Jacob in his early years, Jacob was a scoundrel and a cheat, and he ended up falling into the hands of a scoundrel and a cheat. He had his eyes set on marrying a, a young woman named Rachel, but, but uh, her father, Laban, tricked him into marrying Rachel's older sister, Leah. And while he eventually married Rachel, Leah was still in the picture. And she was always fighting for scraps of his attention, scraps of his affection. And on some occasions, she was not above bribery. On one such incidence, it resulted in the conception and eventual birth of Issachar, the ninth son of Jacob. His name literally means man for hire. In an era where your name meant everything, like your introduction of yourself, like it kind of said a little bit about who, you, who your personality was and, and maybe what you were going to be one day. <laughs> Can you imagine being Issachar? Like you, you, imagine going out with your friends and like you meet somebody new and you meet this dude Aaron and he's like, hi, I'm Aaron, the teacher and lofty mountain of strength. And you're like, hi, I'm Issachar. I'm what happens when my mom hires my dad for a night. Not glamorous. Fast forward a few generations and we find Moses and the 12 tribes of Israel 
Issachar included, the very edge of what they thought was the end of their journey out of slavery and into a land that God had promised them. But before entering the land, Moses selected an elite team of one member from each of the tribes to send them in and gather information. And from Issachar came Egal. And this is where we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. We're going to jump into Numbers chapter 13, verse 17. Numbers chapter 13, verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up to the Negev and on the hill countries. See what the land is like, whether the, the, the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What, what kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees there or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Now we're going to hop down to verse 26 here. If you, all you missed here is that Moses said, hey, do the thing, and they did the thing, and it took them about 40 days. All right, so jumping back down, down to, third, to, uh, to verse 26 here. They, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israel, Israelite community at Kadesh, and in, in the desert of Paran, there they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land that you sent us and it, it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Like, hey, look, you sent us into this land that God promised. He promised it would be good and oh man, is it good. But, always a big but, the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The, the, the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The, the descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. They, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So they went up to this land and it was everything that God had promised them. But there was an issue. And what started as a bit of a problem turned into paralytic panic. And the people, they, they panicked. They, they, they were, there was this frenzy of, we can't do this. Actually, if you go on to, to chapter 14, it says that they even tried to gather Moses and Caleb and, and Joshua up to stone them, to kill them. Like, they didn't even want to hear that there was anything different. They were paralyzed by panic. And this is where we're going to get into our notes. Point number one is paralytic panic. In the midst of paralytic panic, letter A, we lose sight of God's past provisions 
and future promises. We lose sight of God's past provisions and future promises. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible or when we, when we engage with a, a message like this, we, it's very, very easy for us to like armchair quarterback. Like, I was talking to somebody this morning and they were, saying, yeah, they were saying, yeah, I'm like reading through the Old Testament and every time that I read about what's going on in Israel, I just get so frustrated. I'm like, yeah, me too. And then I look in the mirror and it's pretty much my story too. <laughs> you know, it's like God does these things and then I forget. And then God does the thing and I forget. And then I panic and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to do here. Forgetting that God had provided for me so much more in the past. And if, and if God calls us like his children or his friend, like for you guys that are parents, like wouldn't you do anything for your children? Like if your children were suffering, like wouldn't you do something for them? I mean, you might, you might te- want to teach them a life lesson, but, um, but your friends, like if you had a best friend that like was struggling with something, wouldn't you want to do something to relieve that struggle? You, like even if you weren't able to do a lot, you would want to do something. God's relationship with us is like that. Like God takes care of his own. He provides for us. But how often in our times of greatest challenge do we forget that the same God who provided for us so generously time and time and time again and promised to be with us to the very end of the the age, how often do we forget that he is the same God in the midst of our mess too? We have goldfish brain. I mean, they had just been delivered from generations of slavery under the thumb of the current military superpower of their age. I mean, think about this for a second. Like, they were, they were delivered out of, out from underneath the thumb of the world's biggest military at that time. It was God 11, Pharaoh 0. That's what the scoreboard read. And he had provided for them food and water in the desert. He had, he had led them actively. He had protected them from harm. And yet still they forgot. But that's kind of what panic does. Causes us to forget. Letter B, uh, in the midst of paralytic panic, we isolate ourselves and we alienate others. So these two spies, Caleb and Joshua, you'd read about Joshua in chapter 14. Joshua lends his voice into this mix as well. And he's also confident that God can take it, that he can do it. He can deliver on his promise. They said, God is on our side. Let's do this thing. But in the frenzy, their voices were drowned out. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I know I've, for the last couple of years, I haven't really talked a lot about this publicly, but um, my family has, has been going through a situation in which there, there are multiple members who are kind of at war with each other. They've isolated themselves from one another. What should have been a moment that unified them as a family tore them apart. And I'm watching the collateral damage of this happening because there's panic, because there's was, there was frustration. 
when we panic, when we, when we forget about God's provision, when we forget about God in the mix, we isolate ourselves. From, we isolate ourselves because we're right. Like we're the most right person we know, right? Like we are the most right person that we know. We are right like 100 times out of, out of 100. All the time, every time. Unless you ask your spouse, then you're probably wrong most of those times. But man, like don't, isn't it so true that we tend to alienate ourselves and, and, or we alienate others in the midst of, of what's going on? Because in the midst also of, of paralytic panic, letter C, truth is lost in hysteria. Truth is lost in hysteria. This is one of the most insidious uh, parts of, of panic. When we fixate on an issue or when we fixate on our rightness, um, we lose the facts. For, for Israel, there, there were some who, who purposefully fabricated the story of what was going on. They purposefully sabotaged the mission. Like, they told partial truths. But as Benjamin Franklin is often quoted as saying, half a truth is often a great lie. And 10 out of the 12 came back and said, no, we're not gonna do it. We're gonna put the brakes on this thing. We've got another narrative. Here is our narrative that we're gonna tell and we're gonna whip everybody into a frenzy so that we don't do this thing. Last week, I had the, uh, I had the privilege of, of being in the classroom with Bailey as, uh, as she was teaching and during one, of her class, one of, during one of her classes, she was doing this ceramics project uh, with her class and, and they were at the point of the project where they were glazing these, uh, these sculptures that, um, that they had made. And this particular glaze that she used, she instructed the students very carefully to not mix the glazes. That there was a certain chemical compound, a certain chemical makeup of these glazes that in order for it to work right, in order for it to do the thing that it was supposed to do, you couldn't muddy the glaze with another glaze. It wouldn't turn out. It would nullify, it would nullify the effectiveness of the glaze. Hysteria is kind of like that. We take like a partial truth and then we kind of like whip in whatever like narrative it is that, that's got kind of whipped us into that frenzy. And so you have like this, this thing over here that, that, become, that became so far flung away from what it actually was to begin with. But we lose that in the midst of panic. We lose that in the midst of hysteria. We tend to believe in those moments when, when, we've, when we've been whipped into a frenzy, we tend to believe whoever is the loudest, whoever is the most impassioned, whoever is the most militant, we'll just go with that because that seems to be the right thing. And at that point, letter D, no one hears from God clearly. No one hears from God clearly. In the, in the midst of paralytic panic, when we have thrown truth out the window, no one hears from God clearly. One of the mildest forms of panic is worry. And when Jesus talks about this in, in, in Matthew 6, the word that he uses, the word that Matthew chooses in the Greek uh, is, uh, is a word that, uh, that literally means to take away from God the care and concern that he wants to have for us. When we worry, we look to God and we say, you know what? I got this, I don't need you. 
And when we get ourselves into that place of panic, it's like we're trying to do all of these things to, to either get ourselves out or be right or whatever, whatever's caused the frenzy. We want to we regulate it and we want to correct it on our terms. But when we do that, it's like we say, God, you know what? I don't, I'm bigger than you. I've got this. I don't need you. And like those Israelites that were in the desert, they, they, were in, they were poised to take this place. They were poised to go into this place that God had promised them and they stalled out because in the midst of the panic, no one was able to listen to what God was directing them. They could have taken it. They could have saved themselves wandering around for generations. So how do we avoid panic? How do we avoid, how do we take a lesson from this? What do we do with this now? How do we avoid panic? Letter A, always seek truth. Always seek truth. In that same passage in in Matthew, when, when Jesus talks about worry, he reminds us that our heavenly father, God calls himself our heavenly father, he is he's the most perfect example of what a father should and can be. And, and in that, he, Jesus says, our heavenly father is aware of our needs and instead of encouraging us to chase after those things that he knows that we need, he says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. When you put truth first, when you put God's kingdom first, we acknowledge that God is bigger. God is bigger than our fears. He's bigger than the panic. He can handle whatever the outrageous situation is. And also when we seek him first, he will, we will always find truth. And truth is kind of like a GPS. It illuminates the right path and warns us of the dangers ahead. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path, when we seek truth, when we seek God and his kingdom first, he'll show us the right direction to go, even if it's just the first step in the next good thing to do to move forward. Letter B, consider the perspective of those panicking. Consider the perspective of those panicking. Remember, a person's perception is often their reality. And, and for the Israelites, uh, there were some very, very real fears uh, of what was going on. Uh, Joshua and Caleb did not say like, hey, it's all good. There's nothing wrong here. There's nothing to see here. There's nothing, there, you know, pay no mind to those big cities and those big, no, they didn't say that. They, they acknowledged that, hey, look, we know that this is gonna be a struggle. We know that there are challenges ahead of us, but we can do it. Because God is on our side. And the same God that brought us out of Egypt is the same God that's with us right here. He's the same God that led us to this point and he's gonna lead us forward. They knew that God was bigger than any giants in the land. Here's an interesting exercise and I really wanna challenge you with with this because this is kind of one of those like this is one of those practical takeaways when you ask the question, so what? Like, why does this matter? Like, this is kind of one of those practical takeaways of what do I do with this? Um, 
to have some conversations with people that you may not agree with. Get to, get to understand the, the mindset behind the person that's panicking. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody that has a different viewpoint. Because let me tell you what that's going to do. While you may not agree with them on the other side, you will be reminded that that person is fearfully and wonderfully made and dearly loved by God just as much as you are. And that that person is in just as much need of grace as I am. You know, oftentimes we get so fixated on the issue, right? We get so fixated on the thing that we're fighting about or we're fighting over that we forget that there are people that are involved in the midst of this too. And while we may never agree, and may, may, there, there are definitely uh, you know, situations in our world where there are standards that you will have, there are values that you will hold to, and as Christians, there are convictions that we have. And I'm not saying to push those aside. What I am telling you is to, is to have the eyes of Jesus, to look at people like he looks at them, to look at, at situations the way that he sees them, and to not drink the panic punch. Because let her see, we need to ask for God's help to see what he sees. And God is generous with wisdom. When, when you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. He will, he will illuminate your path. He will show you the right way moving forward. James actually writes that God gives wisdom freely to anyone who asks. We're gonna be talking about that in the next couple of weeks here. And D, remember God's track record. There's nothing, there's nothing that, that absolves, or, or not absolves, but dissolves uh, panic, quite like remembering how God has gotten you through similar situations in the past. Remember that goldfish brain thing that we kind of talked about, you know, where God has done all of these things, but then we forget. Um, when, we, when we distinctly remember, when we set out to remember God's goodness or reflect on God's provision, it helps to dissolve some of those fears. And oftentimes, oftentimes our response to panic or our response to trouble, that often displays what we truly think or what we truly believe about who God is. Think about this for a second. If I'm in the middle of a situation and I am just so focused on panicking I'm so focused on the emotional temperature in the room. I have forgotten how God has gotten me through things like this in the past. And that he, if he was faithful then, that he'll be faithful now too. So, so why is all this important? Why, why is it important for us to, to, uh, to spend the next three weeks talking about this? Because our response will serve as either a cautionary tale or a guidepost for future generations. Our response in times of panic, our response in times of controversy, our response in times of conflict will either serve as a cautionary tale or as a guidepost for future generations. Generations after this moment with, of those early sons of Issachar, there was, where they spread fear and doubt, there was a new generation that knew what happened in the past 
And in the midst of turmoil, they understood the times. They took a more measured approach to dealing with uncertainty. And they were decisive. They knew what to do in the midst of turmoil. They knew what to do in the midst of uncertainty. That generation would have known that their representative, Egal, did not get to see the promises of God fulfilled because he was too stuck in swirling panic that was surrounding him. But what is, what's so amazing is that after that moment, God raises up out of Issachar judges for Israel and prophets for Israel and these 200 captains that would serve as counselors and advisors to David. Make no mistake, this is our story as well. Our story is the same. How we navigate our culture will either serve as a cautionary tale or as a guidepost to future generations. And like he did for the sons of Issachar, he can give us wisdom to understand the times and know what to do. Remember, this is week one of three, and, and you're not gonna wanna miss the next two weeks um, because the next two, message are, the next two messages are kinda, kinda help us frame in uh, this conversation and this foundation of what we built on today. Um, next week, we're gonna be talking about how some rebels and, a secret, and the secret code that they had to bring down an empire. We're gonna talk about that next week. But as we close, I wanna challenge you to do something. I wanna challenge you to do something over the next couple of weeks. Just try it out and see what happens in the midst of this. Before you react, and this is a little bit of a bonus here, this isn't in your notes. Before you react, be quick to seek truth and understanding. Be wise in how you respond. And don't panic. Let's pray. God, thank you for, thank you for this example that we have to take a look at. Um, God, even though there are, there's, there's great failure and, and there's a, a lack of confidence that w- was placed in you, God, you still, redeemed, you still redeemed the situation. And so God, I pray that you would give us your eyes. I pray that you would give us uh, your vision to be able to navigate this world that we're in that as, as controversial things come up, as, uh, as issues present themselves, that our first instinct would not be to panic, but that our instinct would be to look to you, to seek truth, to get to the root of issues, and to come alongside of people in grace and compassion. God, we love you, and we thank you for what you're gonna do as you help us to understand the times and know what to do. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.